Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that always believed in the Boston Red Sox. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And on this episode, we will be shipping up to Boston. That we will. A mop is worthy of celebration. The third mop we've seen this season. That is, of course, a four-game sweep. The Red Sox were the first victim of a mop this year earlier this season against the Rays, and now they exact their revenge on another AL East rival, taking four from the Blue Jays of Toronto, the fourth of which just finished up. We are recording this on Thursday evening due to some Friday scheduling, so we hope you are enjoying this on a Friday morning. And I got to say, night pods, you can booze during a night pod. I guess you could booze during a day pod, but you know you Le- probably less cool, Pro- probably more frowned upon uh, for a variety of reasons. But the point is, we are in a great mood. We are excited to do another episode of Baseball Barbacast. We are, of course, going to begin with these Red Sox of Boston now in third place in the AL East. We're going to look at the AL East in general because it is an absolute mess in a glorious way. We will, of course, talk about Wander Franco's horrific reckless showboating in the infield that did not impress Brian Reynolds. We're going to talk about some other sweeps this week. And of course, at the end, we will get to the good, the bad, and the ugly. But Jake, the Boston Red Sox are proving us, they're proving us wrong. Despite your intro, let's be honest, you were not especially optimistic about the Red Sox this year. I think on many times you could hear Jake on this podcast say, I think this team might suck. And while I did not think they would suck, I did not think that they could be A, this fun to watch, and B, this, you know, frisky, truly. I, it's not my fault that I didn't believe in the Red Sox. Okay, don't put the blame on me. I was listening to this podcast, Baseball Barbacast, and the guy on that show told me, told me that the Red Sox were going to stink and were going to underwhelm, and I believed him in fault. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was the low man on the Red Sox. And so far, not really so far. I mean, they opened the year with just a a bag of crap. And they have since turned that bag of crap into a bag of gold with six consecutive W's. And I would just like to spend some time looking at where I went wrong. Jordan, can we try and piece together? Can I get a diagnostic on my error here on the Red Sox? Yeah, and I also want to say, you were not the only one who came out of this winter, even after you know they got the Devers extension done, but it was a strange offseason. It was a busy offseason for Bloom, and it was a strange one. And there were a lot of moves along the way. Well, of course, we'll get to Yoshida, you know, the big one, but there were a lot of moves with the Jansen, then, of course, Bogart's leaving, and then bringing in a lot of players. And then remember also how the season started. Adam Duvall was the greatest player on earth. Yeah. And then he gets hurt and we think, well, that's not a good sign if the one guy that's hitting is Adam Duvall and he goes down like this isn't going to go well. After the Rays mopped them, they were 5-8. and eight. Now they are in third place in the American League East 
at 19 and 14. So as you said, Jake, where did Again, you go wrong? I want to be clear. Like it's early. I could be right. <laughs> Still time to be right. Love that. Love that. But it's not looking that good for me. Like this team looks like it doesn't suck. Is it good? Time will tell. Are they an embarrassment? No. No. Uh, here is what is good about the Boston Red Sox. We talked a little on Wednesday about your beloved Orioles and how even though the guys they're throwing out there to, to the mound to throw the first pitch of the game are not the most intimidating bunch, it uh, doesn't matter because they rake and they score a shit ton of runs. And the Red Sox are a very similar version of that. As if you look at their rotation, it is even worse than Baltimore. Basically, every starting pitcher has an ERA at or around five, if not higher. And yet, because they are, I believe, third in the league in runs per game, that might go up after their 11 runs uh, today against Toronto, and you know one of the best offenses overall, uh, it hasn't really mattered so much in the early going. And that is a big part because, one, Masataki Yoshida has been on fire for the last two weeks, and he looks amazing and is making the Red Sox look incredibly smart. But I think more importantly around him is that Devers, who started off hot, a little cooler, he got another home run tonight, and Verdugo, who already has three walk-off hits, have really been fueling the middle of this lineup, especially since Adam Duvall went out. So my biggest concern about Yoshida specifically was his ability to impact the baseball with force. People, the sense I got was that he was going to control the strike zone and he was not going to strike out a lot. And he was going to walk a lot. and He was going to make enough contact. But was he going to impact the baseball? Here's the moment I knew that my doubts were wrong. Okay. I saw a video of Yoshida on his own Instagram working out in a tight shirt. And that shirt was real tight. Okay. And his muscles were a bulging. Okay. And I thought I saw that and I said to myself, God, that guy's going to impact the baseball. And it turns out that I was right the second time. You mentioned his shirt. We got to talk about the pants. This dude's lower half. And part of this is because he's pretty short, but I, I can't think of many other lower halves that look like this. Look, they call him Macho Man for a reason. The dude is absolutely jacked. And yes, was his home run, did he hit 50 home runs You know, in the Japanese league? No, he maxed out. I think 29 was the most he hit in a single season over there. But I mean, here's the other thing. When you have the contact skills, the velocity, sometimes the pitchers will supply the velocity here. And so if you can square it up and you can control the zone and you can kind of hone in what pitches you can handle, it's going to work. He kind of established a ceiling early on where he was still walking more than he was striking out before he was putting a lot of balls in play. Now it's all coming together. Is he going to go through slumps this year? Absolutely, because the league is still figuring him out also, right? We're going to figure out where those holes are, but I'm so encouraged and and honestly so excited. You know, I was the high guy on Yoshida and I love it. I, I couldn't be happier for him. Couldn't be happier for Red Sox fans because... There are a lot of ways this Red Sox season could still go very wrong. I'm glad he and a you know an 85 OPS plus will not be at the forefront of that conversation. He's listed at 5'8", uh, 176. I'll take the over on 176. That might just be his left leg. <laughs> Seriously, that's what I'm saying. And, and I mean, he, yeah, 5'8 looks looks about right. But but that's he's such a unique player. That's the thing. That was another part of the doubt with him was it was like, what is this? I don't know what I'm looking at here, right? Guys like Luis Arise, who are really stocky and control the zone, they don't have any power, right? They, they're they making crazy contact, but they don't have, they really don't have over-defense pop. And he is this very unique thing that the scouts haven't really seen before, and that's why it was like, what, what do we do here? 
and he's he's really fun. So he's been great. That's of course been a big part of it. But there are a couple things. Well, sure, I, I could have been as bullish on Yoshida as anybody, and then even he has surprised me on the positive side. But there's some other contributions here on offense, especially in the last couple of weeks, where we could not have possibly seen coming. Connor Wong and Jaron Duran, first and foremost. Reese McGuire has also been awesome. I mean, he's been great since he since he got to Boston last year. Um, those three guys, I that is very impressive. That is, I Duran, wow, I could not have been more out on him as a prospect, and he's looked really good. You and I were equally flummoxed by how much certain people liked Jaron Duran. We saw K rates close to 30 and said thanks, but no thanks, and doubted how much he was going to hit the ball hard at the big league level. And he's been great. He's got a 54.8% hard hit rate so far this year. Yeah, no, he's been, he's been tremendous, you know, smaller sample size for him, but that, that's, that was someone that coming into the year was like, as far as I was concerned, a non-factor. Like I realized he was on the roster and in the mix for playing time, but like his emergence has been very important because you know, who has not really been hitting Tristan Cassis, you know, who's not really been hitting Kike Hernandez, right? There are still parts of this lineup that are not, even Justin Turner has been okay. And so that's where the lineup really both intrigues me and concerns me because some of the other things they were counting on are not working out. So if any of these guys turn into pumpkins, it's going to get thin in a hurry. Now, all this is to say the pitching staff is still a circus. Chris Sale is horrible. <laughs> like, I mean, there's no other way to put it. I know he's striking out a bunch of guys. Like, I, I love Garrett Whitlock, but now he's hurt again. Brian Bayo has not quite done it yet. Uh, I, I, some parts of the bullpen have been okay, but this pitching staff is, is still a mess for sure. They have the second worst starter ERA in baseball ahead of the Oakland Just A's. Oakland, right? Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is apparently a triple A team called the Las Vegas Aviators. Yeah. The thing yeah. with the Reds, like every Chris Sale start right now is a reminder of how young we used to be. It is a glimpse <laughs> at the past. And he had one start against the Orioles where he didn't strike anybody out. What is that? That's the whole point of Chris Sale. Right. Which you what you just mentioned, oh, what what how how time has has gone on. Corey Kluber, I mean, not not happening. Not not getting the job done. <laughs> so this is the thing. I don't know what the what the what the options are here. There's really no guys that they can call on as far as I'm concerned, unless they're really gonna start deeping or dipping deep into the into their prospect depth. And guys like Double A, like I don't know if what the fix is there. And my takeaway is great. This team's just going to be kind of a slugfest every day, and it's going to be really entertaining, messy games. It's going to drive Red Sox fans crazy. And you're also they're going to win games against these other AL East teams that are maybe more legitimate. That it's it's just going to make things uh, really chaotic, which is great. I, I can't complain. So this team is hot, but is this team good? That is the question of the early season, right? We have all these teams and their ups and downs, and they all feel so significant. But it is still May 5th, and we could blink, and it's July 5th, and the Red Sox could be 15 games back. How much faith do you have in this club's ability to stay in the hunt in a loaded American League East? Well, I think it's related to the team that they just mopped, right? I mean, I look at the Jays, and I see a team who the guys that are raking on their team, I'm like, hell yeah, these are some of the best fucking players in the league, right? And I look at their pitching staff and I'm like, the, the names are here and the production is not. So sure, that makes me more optimistic about them. We already talked about Baltimore. We know the entire Yankees roster is on the injured list. Like there's going to be some room here 
for them to hang around, maybe, you know, gain some ground on teams like Baltimore and them. I think they're going to be a factor. Like, I really do. I think that they're going to be in the mix today, at least. I would not pick them at this point. But I, I don't really see the bottom necessarily coming out here. Uh, obviously, any any there's a chance that their pitching staff just gives them no shot <laughs> to win if any of these guys go cold. And that's a totally fair concern. But I don't know, man. There's 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 enough here that I think they, they could probably, you know, win 84 games, 85 games. The glass half full take is the rotation has to be better than this. And a lot of these hitters are actually this good. And the glass half empty take is Jaron Duran is overperforming. Yoshida's overperforming. Verdugo's overperforming. And the rotation's bad. And so they're due for a come down. The reality is somewhere in the middle. I think Verdugo, we haven't even mentioned his name yet. I mean, he's been spectacular. He's great. He's proven himself to be a legitimately great big league hitter and has lessened the blow somewhat of the Mookie Betts trade. I mean, you can never repair that enormous gaping wound in the heart of Red Sox fans. But Verdugo has done about as well as you could ask a guy in his situation to do. How good is this team? How good do I think they are? I agree with you. I think 84 wins is totally reasonable. I'll still take my under. I think I'm going to I think I'm gonna buy, sell high here. Mm-hmm. On, on the Red Sox on their W6. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that they still finish under, I think, their 78-win projection. Okay. Well, we will see. But if anything, they are going to be way more entertaining than I think I expected them to be. So credit credit to them for that. 100%. Yeah, I, I guess my, my reasoning for that is I think Kluber's cooked. I think Sale's cooked. And I don't think Hauk and Pavetta are that good. And so it doesn't really matter how good this rotation is. Or sorry, how good the lineup is if the rotation is this finicky? Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you about the division in general. Who is the second best starter in the American League East, not on the Rays? Okay, so take the Rays. They are clearly better than these other four teams right now. I'll push them to the side. The best starter on the other four teams is Garrett Cole, maybe the best pitcher in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Who is the second best pitcher? If you needed to win a game tomorrow to save a life, and you had to pick a pitcher from the Yankees, Orioles, Blue Jays, or Red Sox. Who are you taking? It's funny. I'm I probably taking the guy that got smashed today. This is Kevin Gossman. Um, I think he's a pretty easy pick. I again, I know he got. Well, I don't even know what his line was, but I assume it wasn't very good if the Red Sox scored eleven runs. Uh, but like, I think he's the easy answer. As far as I'm concerned, because like Manoa, you would have thought, and he's, he's slowly sort of putting it together, but not not particularly eh. inspiring. Yeah, I mean, Gosman got destroyed today, and he's still, I think, my easy answer. What about after him? After him, I mean, then we're talking about we're talking about Manoa. We're talking about, I mean, I guess like you know Tyler Wells. <laughs> Sort of like I don't know like I I I I mean I did believe in Whitlock but he's now hurt so that that one hurts I do like him and Hauk but well what's your answer Nestor Cortez has really underwhelmed so far this year yeah exactly that's the thing like the Yankees guys because uh, Carlos hasn't thrown a pitch yet and Nestor's been bad um, I'm not picking any of those guys you know maybe Severino comes back and looks good but I don't know. Can I take Domingo Herman from Monday night specifically? 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> very, very specific. Sure. I mean, you can find a good five innings from a couple of, I know he was, you know, eight, eight innings, but you can find hopefully a good little stretch for any of these guys. But right. yeah, if I'm going out there tomorrow, I mean, Herman's just as likely to give up seven tomorrow. So I <laughs> don't feel any, any better about that. And that is uh, an important transition to, to the Rays, but Dude, this is the thing with the AL East. Like, it's historically good right now. They're on pace for a historically good record for a division. And I trust no one's pitchers. No one. None of these teams. I trust none of their pitchers. I think they are all good baseball teams lacking good pitchers. It's like the SEC. That's really what it feels like at this point. Um, that's uh, honestly like that's the like college baseball now. You can see it's just like where is the pitching? And yes, there have been so many injuries, so many, so many injuries, and we hope that that does not continue. But I think that, that is a big part of this conversation as well. Let's talk about the Rays, Jake. The Rays are twenty six and six. Here come the Pirates, the best team in the National League, and oh my God, the Rays are better than the Pirates. Can you believe it? The Rays now have one of the seven best starts to a season through 32 games since 1900. 1984 Tigers, 27 and 5. 1911 Tigers, go Tigers, 27 and 5. 1902 Pirates, that was a good squad, 27 and 5. And then the Rays, just the fourth team to be 26 and 6, joining the 1939 Yankees, 1928 Yankees, 1907 Cubs. Shouts out Sarah Langs, you are the best. Uh, this team just made quick work of the Buckos. You know, uh, we got some people complaining about umpiring. Uh, some of the games were closer than others. Listen, this team is ridiculous. And honestly, I we had a little meet when we were talking for so you know some uh, in our Fox meeting recently, talk, talking about with the Rays versus the field. You were like, oh, the field easily. I mean, what more do you need to see from this team? Like honestly, like I, I'm trying to understand what more you want to see from Tampa. I'm not saying they're 100% guaranteed to win the division. But like, how can you not think they're the favorite? Like, they have so much of what this offense is now. So much about it is on the offensive side too, because I know they'll find ways to get outs. Is that how impressed I am with with them on offense? That's why I'm so bullish on them at this point. I just still think it's really early. Mm-hmm. It's that simple for me. I understand 26 and six is historic. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But it is May 5th. Mm-hmm. It's May 5th. Mm-hmm. All right. We don't know shit yet. We know who's hurt, okay? And we know who's not. And we know that the Cardinals are in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to them later, That's what we know. But I just, I think the Rays are really good. I just need another month of data of watching this team play to believe that they can do it over a full season. It's that simple. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. But they're they're at a level where, like, yes. But, like, what, what we just did with the Red Sox. What are the parts of this team that you are like, eh, I don't really believe in? Because unlike with Boston, I'm like, yeah, Wander could be an MVP candidate. Like, yeah, Yandy Diaz is this good. He has now been for multiple seasons. It's, it's you know, guys like Josh Lowe, who had a big pedigree as a prospect, but sure, it's early for him. Harold Ramirez was sneaky out last year. I guess Taylor Walls is the Jaron Duran here, right? Taylor Walls is Jaron Duran in this case. Josh, La- uh, Josh Lowe. Harold Ramirez, Taylor Walls, Luke Rayleigh, I am like, and Christian Betancourt. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't want to be a hater, but I'm just waiting for a little bit of a cliff. That's here. fine. No, I'm not counting on on the, the regret. I'm sure there's some regression there, but I don't know. I, I just see a lot of depth. I, I really like this. We just saw what Eflin did today. 
Um, obviously, McClanahan is unbelievable. Bullpen's still a bunch of randos, but they're getting the job done. I- I'm just so impressed with the depth of this lineup, and it's it's really a really a really ridiculous group. Now, uh, the people really want to hear is us talk about Wanda Franco. Now, not only does Wanda Franco have you know a 929 OPS as a 22 year old switch hitting shortstop, but he decided to uh, introduce us. Oh yeah, how are you? I disagree. You I disagree oh, with. Dis- what I haven't you're even said already. anything yet. Who who are you? Dis- what are you disagreeing with? <laughs> he did not decide to do anything but continue. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I don't really know how to introduce this then. I, I mean, he decided to do something. So Brian Reynolds hits a ground ball. No, he didn't decide to do anything. All right. Take it away, Jay, because you, you tell me what happened. I'm, I'm You're disagreeing and I don't even know what I've said yet. So please take it away. It was not a decision. Okay. It was innate. There was a ground ball hit to Wander Franco. He fielded it with time to spare and he flipped the ball up to himself barehanded in his right hand his throwing hand flipped it up caught it in his right hand and chucked that pill over to first base and got the runner by like a step and a half people were mad people were pulling their hair out people were saying this is not how you play the game this is disrespectful i had people that i respect up in arms pirates fans in particular trying to draw the line of fun trying to say this is too much and to those people i say i get where you're coming from but <laughs> no, I disagree, but I understand it. Like it when, when Wander Franco did this, my first response was, this is going to piss so many people off. I'm so happy about it. Like well, I was more happy by the people who were going to be angry than I was happy that it even happened. If that makes sense. I love the spice. I love the consternation. I love that. It's making people think about what is acceptable on a baseball field. I agree with that, but this is why this is worth taking some time to really digest because this is a new category, right? Yeah. We've spent years, not even debating, because you know where we stand on it, talking about bat flips. But when are you, and, and sure, now this is closer to the equivalent of a bat flip when the ball isn't necessarily automatically a home run and you cost yourself, you know, you showboat and then the ball hits the wall and then you get thrown out at second and you throw out at third, right? It's closer to that. But what this is, is showboating while completing the play, which is not really something, I mean, what would the equivalent be on offense? I guess it would be like closing your eyes as the pitcher like delivers like the pitch or like in some version, like like, that's the thing. We're talking about something that is in the act of playing, not celebrating. This is not celebration. This is showboating while playing. This is closer to like in the NBA if you're like open for a three, like wide open for a three and you like do a little shimmy and like wait for a, an extra hot second and then say, boom, like, okay, I'm going to shoot this three now. Now, okay, producer Chris puts in the chat, say, oh, the Babe Ruth called shot. That's not- Before the calling, play. That's different. That's, you, you, can, you can call something. You can say, you can guarantee you're going to win the World Series. You're going to say, I'm about to hit a home run, but you are not actively doing the baseball. Right, that is what is different about this is that you are at, you are basically handicapping yourself, but also not really that much because I promise you this was not as hard for Wander Franco as it would be for you, person on the internet. <laughs> but that is what is different about this and what makes it interesting. And that's why I love it because it is new, and people are afraid of things that are new. It's that simple. Wander Franco has done this before. 
in his life for certain. And I would bet you that Wander Franco did not even think about this action when he was doing it. And that's why I wanted to push back when you said he decided to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't think Wander Franco woke up the other day and said, I'm going to flip a ball to myself as if they were to first. That's not what happened. Yeah. He fielded it. He had a lot of time to spare to set his feet and get it moving to first base. And he flipped the thing up to himself without even thinking about it. Right. Which is crazy. <laughs> because who has ever thought to do that in a game but, before? But this is this is the thing. This is the thing. I'm I'm mostly with you, but this is also undeniably the result of Wander and the Rays feeling themselves as they fucking should. As I just told you, six team in a hundred plus years to be twenty six and six. They're up by six. He feels it. It's a short hop. He's like, I'm Wander Franco. I'm the shit. All right, boom. I'm feeling good. We're up by a lot. We're the best team in baseball. Let's do it. Right. There's a reason we haven't seen this before, you know, and sure, and I agree with you that I'm sure he's done it before in warmups or done it before, you know, during practice or, you know, when he was a kid in in a pickup game. Like, of course he has. Of course he's done it before. But I do think it is also the the result. It is not an accident that this is maybe the best player on the best team while the team's up by a bunch of runs in another statement win where where this ended up happening. That is not a coincidence. There's no way. And let us also say, we have to point out that I, a part of me was like, what is the worst thing that could happen here? Kevin Cash be like, we don't play that way. But that is exactly the opposite (laughs) of what happened. Let me pull up the Kevin Cash uh, quote uh, to be be specific. uh, And I want to- That is one of the best parts about this. I want to touch on that quickly. Like, as a little league coach, okay, yeah, I, I am const- here. Yep. I am constantly trying to find a balance between the kids enjoying themselves and being comfortable at their best playing a, a game how they want to do it, balancing that with them, like, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. The whole team running onto the field during a non-walk-off home run. Right. Balancing two things like that is where I'm constantly thinking about what is showboating? What is showing up the other team? What is respecting the game even mean? Because you don't want kids to be douchebags when they're playing youth sports. Mm -hmm. But I also want them to enjoy themselves as kids because they're kids playing a game. And so, like, if one of my kids did this in a game, I would say you can do whatever you want. If you get him out, if you don't get him out, then we'll have a conversation about it. And you'll understand why what you did was detrimental to the team. Right. To me, it's that simple. hundred percent. And of course, if he did this and bounced the ball and Brian Reynolds, you know, gets on first base, they ask cash about it. And he's like, yeah, that was stupid. We cleaned it up. Is he going to bench Wander Franco? No, he's just going to be like, that was dumb. He's not going to do that anymore. And Wander Franco would not do that anymore, right? But it worked. And I can't, the thing I really don't relate to and can't understand is the number of people that are like so bothered by this to the point where it's like, oh my God, he could have botched it. Like, who care? Who cares, man? Like, why Why? why, is, it, why is it bothering you that much? Like, he took that risk. He entertained his. He entertained us. He entertained himself. He entertained... like. Also, Brian Reynolds doesn't have to be impressed. He can be like, of course, he, he's not going to be happy that he grounded out. Whatever, it's all fine. But again, Kevin Cash, quote, Kevin Cash, his own manager. They ask him about it. He says, 
I get home and now I know my son JD is going to look at me and tell me to go out there and practice that play with him. Unfortunately, I won't be able to do that because I can't relate to the amount of confidence that Wander plays with. It's pretty special. That's the most important thing here and why Kevin Cash is great at his job. He understands that the best version of Wander Franco, the freest version of Wander Franco, is when he is playing uninhibited. That is such an important thing for players. And we have seen this across the league. And Cash is empowering Franco to be himself on a baseball field. This is not the case on every single team. 15 years ago, this was not the case in baseball really at all. And not the case specifically for a lot of Latin players. And the fact that Cash is saying to Wander, do you, don't fuck up, (laughs) but the confidence that you play with makes you special, don't change a thing, is awesome. And Cash would have way more understandable reason. He could have said, this would be another version of how he could have answered it. That was awesome. You know, made me a little nervous, but he got the out. That's all that matters. And like, Wander's awesome, right? He could have said that, right? But this, compare this to the Jace Tingler nonsense. Remember, right? Tatis is doing his thing. 3-0 gate, all that nonsense. And Jace Tingler's like, we'll have a conversation about how we, we're going to make sure that he understands that's not how we do things. And that was the opposite of this. That was the opposite of empowering your player and saying, we want you to be you, right? Now, is that going to change the way Tatis plays? Of course not. But this is great. This is a perfect way to handle it. Do we want Wander Franco to do this on every ground ball? No. Does Wander Franco start doing this on every ground ball? No. But like, this is a great thing to have happen in this one time. And I, to me, it's that simple. <laughs> um, two other quick things. The first is I had a uh, friend in baseball recently express to me that uh, they had disdain for the home run celebrations from the bad teams. Mm-hmm. The argument being like, okay, like the twins. This person said, you haven't won a playoff game in 20 years. Put the vest away. Right. And that is an awesome hard take. I disagree with it, but I kind of get it. I get it more for a team like the Royals where or the White Sox, right? You're down 10 runs. You hit a bomb. You're scuffling. Your team's in embarrassment. Don't put on this goofy hat. I get that, right? This is the opposite of that. This is bulletproof Wander Franco can do anything he wants because his team hasn't lost in 75 days. And he's a 22-year-old switch hitting shortstop who's got an OPS over 900. And so he feels unfuckwittable. And so he he does whatever he wants, right? And so because of that, I've decided, like, I'm totally cool with it. I think it's great. And I'm happy that Kevin Cash kind of understands how important it is for him to be himself. It's great. Um, Now, I I will say, like, there is a line with that where, like, there has to be a level of accountability and that player has to have a certain amount of respect in the locker room and a team to be able to do this and to have the the manager back that guy up. And I think with maybe what we knew about Tatis, what we know about Tatis now Mm -hmm. maybe elucidates some of the things that Tingler said back then. Sure. Right? And there are, like, fun players who behind the scenes sometimes don't work hard and are shitheads to their teammates. Mm -hmm. I'm not naming anybody in specific like specifically, but that is a dynamic that we have. There are also boring players who are shitty to their teammates, right? Mm -hmm. I just think it is important to celebrate someone like Franco and to understand what cash backing him up means, I guess is what I'm saying. Totally agree. And of course, what does he do next half inning? Just 
blasts one into the right field seats because he's playing with a whole lot of confidence. On that note, we are going to take a quick break and when we return, we're going to hit some of the other sweeps uh, that happened this week and of course, give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hey everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is right around the corner, which means the much-anticipated docuseries 100 Days to Indy has begun. Each Thursday, right after new episodes of the show drop on The CW, we'll be dropping our own reaction podcast on the Off Track feed as we break down everything that we saw in the episode and talk about which one of our friends are really putting it on for the camp. Listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on Baseball Barbacast, Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Let's talk about some sweeps, some series wins. It is Thursday night, the time when the series flip over from week to weekend. And let's chat about what has already happened this week. A couple of sweeps, you define them as troubling, Jordan. I'm going to define them as notable. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, there's <laughs> Each side is feeling a very different way. That's how a sweep works. So you define it however you want. For every troubling sweep, there is an invigorated clubhouse across the stadium. For every winner or loser, for every joyous team, one that is saddened. The Los Angeles Angels of Angeles went into St. Louis and said to the Cardinals, you suck now, and took three games from them at Bush Stadium. The Rockies took three over the Brewers, and I did not know about it until I read it off the page. The Rockies over the Brewers is like a TV show on Cartoon Network when we were growing up that would come on and be I have never seen this before. This I don't know what this is. The Tigers swept the Mets. Uh, we should probably let's let's hang a hat on this quickly. Scherzer. What's your take on this? His spin rates were down oh. the start after he comes back. From the sticky stuff suspension, I think that had to do more with the cold and him using like zero rosin. That was my thinking. My thinking was he probably played it overly safe on his first one back. Um, I'm not going to read too much into that until we have a few more games of sample size. My takeaway is if you're a Mets fan at the beginning of the week, you're like, hell yeah, going to Detroit and we got Scherzer and Verlander back to back for the first time. What a good way to, you know, get this team back rolling. Oops. Now I know the rain kind of literally dampened the whole series, but uh, not a very inspiring effort from the Metropolitans. And shouts out to the Tigers. Shouts out to the Tigers, who, you know, so much of the talk around them, of course, it's the disappointments of some of the younger guys like Torkelson and the pitchers who have been hurt or whatever. But they're big investments that totally flopped last season for all kinds of reasons. Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez showing out this week. Erod looks amazing. Baez finally getting his first home run, his first two home runs. Um, am I expecting Baez to suddenly be an all-star? No, but nice to see the Tigers have some stuff go well for them. Worth noting that Verlander, after giving up back-to-back home runs in the first, settled down, settled was great, in, yeah, and looked yeah. like Justin Verlander. Mm-hmm. But there was something about Riley Green homering off of Verlander in Detroit. Time is indeed a flat circle. I'm not too worried about the Mets. It is just a reminder that if you build the entire ship out of old wood, sometimes there are leaks. The Nats took three out of four against the Cubs at home. So when we had Maddie Leon the show the other day, here's a little peek behind the Iron Curtain. 
All right. I know that's not what we are, but whatever. Uh, we'll sometimes edit out parts of interviews if we think that it's bad podcast content. We had like a 10-minute chat with Maddie Lee about the Cubs bullpen, like getting into Mark Leiter and whatever. And she had a comment, oh, they're too invested into these veterans. Like, they've been good, but how long will they be good? And then this afternoon, Brad Boxberger gave up a walk-off home First run. pitch. First pitch. And so she was right. Also related to that conversation, Matt Mervis has been called up. Our national nightmare is over. We don't know if that means the end of Eric Hosmer or they're going to send down someone else, but it does sound like Matt Mervis will be with the Cubs, joining the Cubs. They return home to face the Marlins this weekend, so very excited about that. Hopefully they actually play him. Hopefully this isn't uh, call him up just to hang out on the bench and smile. Um, But yeah, not the best week for the old NL Central with the Pirates getting swept, Cardinals getting swept, Cubs losing three or four to the Nationals, and the Brewers getting swept by Colorado. Listen, Cardinals are a larger conversation. I know we started to talk on it uh, recently. Let's monitor that. That's getting really ugly. We're going to spare you Cardinals fans dunking on you too hard now, but that is getting very, very, very messy. Worst record in the National League, the Cardinals of St. Louis. That is ridiculous. Rays did sweep the Pirates. We mentioned that. Mariners swept the A's. Anything from that that made you think about anything? <laughs> well, Mariners, uh, Mariners Twitter calling it the the worst four-game winning streak of all time, and I think that that is absolutely accurate. I probably was a little bit too friendly to the Mariners' offense on Wednesday's episode because, indeed, Julio, Ty France, and uh, Suarez have just been just pitiful right now. I hope Julio's healthy. It's one of those things where it's like, do I want it to be hurt? Do I want it to be healthy? You could apply that to some other players that are struggling right now. Uh, but at the same time, they found a way to sweep the worst team in baseball. And that is all that matters. You see these other good teams getting swept by bad teams. And in this case, I don't really care how they got it done. They got it done. Now they go home to face Houston. Braves swept the Marlins. I think the Braves are the best team in baseball. Yeah, Probably deserves a conversation at some point. No shade to the Rays fans. Let's move on to thoughts from the yard. Jordan, what did you learn at the yard this week at going to baseball games? Not that I didn't, I didn't go to any baseball games. Hoping to go to some baseball games this weekend. So I'll, I'll check back in with some thoughts from the yard a week from now. But I know you were in attendance for at least one, maybe two games between the Yankees and Guardians. So a couple quick thoughts from there before we get to good, bad, and ugly. So I was around uh, Monday and Tuesday. I missed the Cashman uh, presser, unfortunately, which is really regrettable because that is an annual tradition of Brian Cashman going into the dugout as the Yankees general manager and telling everyone to calm down. To I think chill it's really out. it is interesting because we just had this with Rick Hahn also, where managers, because they're not total idiots, they can talk around stuff when a team's struggling, but the manager will never be like, put it on me. Because that doesn't make any sense, right? It's just that's just not the case. I, Aaron I truly Boone Aaron Boone does that all the time, I have to say. Aaron Boone says it's my fault. Yes, all the time. But like in reference to like pitching, I know he says like, oh, that move didn't work out. I understand that. But I'm talking like, when we're talking about offensive slumps or like the depth, like the guys that are coming up with things, all these things, that's what Cashman and Rick Hahn, they say like, if you're going to you know get mad at anybody, get mad at me. I built the team because they can say that. And then fans are like, okay. <laughs> right. That's why those press conferences are always, everyone, like when, when, when the beat writers say like, Brian Cashman will speak at three o'clock. Everyone's like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, what? Is it, 
He's not going to say, like, I resign. Like, that would be the only interesting thing to really come out of those pressers. But anyway, so you weren't there for Cashman, but what you were there for was some really uninspiring baseball from both teams, it seems like. Yes, both of these offenses right now are just dreadful. No punch at the bottom of the Yankees lineup. Even I, I know that Willie Calhoun and Jake Bowers won them some baseball games. <laughs> it's in more games punch two and three. than Cleveland. Oh, my God. Cleveland is the worst version of the team from last year that captured our hearts in October. The vibes in that clubhouse are really good. Like, I do still think they're a tight group, whatever the fuck that means. But I'm just worried that they don't have enough offensive power or impact to really make a run at the Twins, even though the Twins aren't particularly thrilling right now either. And then the Yankees, like when they lose a game like they did on Monday with Clay Holmes blowing it, the locker room just feels like a morgue, dude. It's crazy. I went down. Here's a little peek behind the Iron Curtain again. I You go down the elevator at Yankee Stadium, and I wasn't writing off this game. And so I could, I just went into the clubhouse to just check it out, to just soak up the energy for something I might want to write in the future. So I go down the elevator and turn left for the happy clubhouse for Cleveland and their comeback win on Monday, or I turn right for the sad Yankees clubhouse. And I'm like, the Yankee beats are going right and the Guardians beats are going left. And I'm like looking both ways. I'm like, do I want joy? Do I want sadness? And I picked sadness just for the sake of being interested. And it was crazy in there. Wow. Yeah. Well, because again, unlike some other teams that their win-loss record is not the most important thing for literally millions of people, across this country, uh, or not to the degree the Yankees are. It's like they, there's clubhouses that they lose, even good teams where it's like, okay, see you tomorrow, we're chilling. But I have to imagine it's a little bit different for the Yankees. The pressure of the Yankees being the Yankees is omnipresent. It's always there. Whether they lose, they feel it. When they win, there's a sense of relief a lot of the time instead of unbridled joy. Like the fans have this optimism to the Yankee-ness. But I think the players do feel that pressure. I think that is a real thing. Yeah, that it the, seems exhausting. The pinstripes are of lead. Yeah, yeah, it is it is it is a lot to manage. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I will say this about the Yankees. They are hurt to the point now where I'm kind of throwing my hands up on what even to say about them as a team. Like, whether you're hurt or not, if they end up winning 83 games, it is a disaster, right? Like, it is an excuse and it is also a disaster. But as far as evaluating them, I'm just looking at this team and I'm just like, well, I don't know. I mean, why? I Sorry, like, this sucks for you, but I just, <laughs> this is not the Yankees. It's just not. This is, there's like $150 billion on the injured list. What am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, but you, again, you build the ship out of old wood. Their no, I know. Roster- I'm not saying, I'm not saying I, I, they don't, deserve some sort of scorn for not having like it's it's not even as an excuse but like i'm also not going to look at this team and be like this yankee these are the yankees and they're bad like they're not underperforming they're hurt those are two different things we've seen them do both we've seen them do both we don't get paid the medium bucks to analyze the scranton wilkes bear rail riders and that's <laughs> well, what the situation is now we do now uh quickly on cleveland just a stunning stat zach mizell they currently have the second lowest team slugging percentage of any team in the last 30 years. 338 slug as a team ahead of only the 100 loss 2013 Marlins. 
Is it early? Yes. Was this literally the exact problem we saw with this team? Also, yes. So they have a lot to figure out. They should paint some aluminum bats with with like wood spray paint. <laughs> oh, they need it so badly. So badly. All right, Jake. It's time for the good, the bad, the ugly. Something good, something bad, something Dan Ugla from the last week, something all kinds of weird. Start us off with something good. This tweet rules. Let's hear it. Asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. You know, like when there's an action mm-hmm. in a tweet. Whispers. Maybe, just maybe, Goldie and Arenado aren't good leaders, which is why Arizona and Colorado were always doormats. Shrug emoji. That is good. Damn. All the tweets about, oh, Cardinals are missing Yachty. This is helping Yadier Molina's Hall of Fame case. Are we not looking in the right direction? This sounds like something that should have been in our friend Foolish Bailey's uh, early season hot takes video that he just posted today, which was fantastic. But I love this. What a take. I don't even want to expand on it. I just think it's a great, a great tweet. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, Goldie and Arenado. Who tweeted this? Are, we got to give credit. Uh, at Moe's Algorithm. I believe that is like Johnny Moe's algorithm <laughs> okay. named no, after the GM. Like- but it's great. You know, Goldie, I don't agree with this. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a correct take. <laughs> I think it's good. Still good tweeting. It's good. Good tweet. Still, still good tweeting. Good material, as they say. Um, I'm going to go with a very straightforward, wholesome, good. Uh, and that is Sarah Langs's birthday this past week. Yeah. We reference Sarah Langs, the great researcher for MLB.com, quite often on this show because she is the best at what she does and we are lucky to call her a friend. Um, but and not, for those sorry, of you, yeah. not just call her a friend, but like call her when we need something. Yes, all of, all of the above. Uh, now, I know you, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you are vaguely familiar with Sarah's story. Um, of course, recently diagnosed with ALS. And she is, I mean, you've heard, of course, the stories of Sarah from people in the, in the baseball world. And I just need to use this platform to say, even though I'm sure we have at times in the past, uh, it could not be more true. There is no one better. I say often, if there is someone that likes baseball more than me, it is Sarah Langs. She is not only an incredible resource and an incredible researcher and an incredible voice for our game, but a truly inspiring person for a million reasons that go beyond uh, her diagnosis and, and, and her fight now uh, with ALS. But I just wanted to shout her out and wanted to give her a happy birthday. She's doing a, an awesome campaign right now called Fist Bumps for ALS, raising a bunch of money. Um, so I, I would encourage you to check that out. We've given a bunch of retweets to those those causes, and she's she's incredible. And I it's it is it is it could not be more accurate. And anything you see about it is even underselling how great she is. So wanted to give Sarah some love and uh, wish her a wonderful happy birthday because she is the best. From a wholesome, kind, <laughs> good to like, how do you follow that? Right? Like, good luck. Here, here we go. It's fine. Sarah would find it funny. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, Jordan, here's what's bad. We're not speed running well enough as a league. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Speed running, for those of you unaware, is basically trying to play a baseball game as quick as you possibly can. I mean, that's speed running in our context. It's a different thing for, you know, Mario, whatever. I understand. Another video games. Great. Mm-hmm. 
there were two opportunities this week to speed run a new record for the season, and we absolutely bungled both of them. Yep. Okay, we had uh, Yankees Guardians on Monday. I was at that game. Then Cubs Nats today. The current record for this season is one hour and fifty minutes, which was a Tigers Twins game or Tigers Guardians game, second game of a doubleheader that took an hour and fifty minutes. Two times we were had games on pace, and both times they bungled it late on in the game. We got to get under that one hour 50 mark. We need to be committed to this as a league. We got to swing early. We got to swing often. Okay. If we get under that mark, it'll be the quickest baseball game we have had, I believe, since 2008. All right. I don't want every game to be an hour 49, but just one, just one would be really nice. And in fact, do you think we break the 140 mark this year? (laughs) 140? No, I think we will definitely break 150. Guaranteed we will break 150, maybe 145. I think 140 is is ludicrous, and I don't know what the, what would take for that to happen. Here's what I will say. I have seen and totally respect some anti-pitch clocks, anti-pace of play, speed, all that, that say this is not what baseball should be. Baseball should be leisurely. Baseball should not be fat, like, okay, I'm going to the game, and I'm out of there in an hour 50. Like, that sucks. Totally respect that, and I totally get it. I would not, I like you just said, I don't want every game to be 150. Of course not, right? But when it's happening, I want it to happen. I, I do like seeing the speed run when it's in play. And so that's what I, I, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you, and I hope that we see some more, more teamwork from you know the road team going down quick in the top of the ninth to really get that buzzer beater under 150. This game, by the way, that you mentioned, April 18th, Erod, Jason Foley, <laughs> Peyton Battenfield, Xavier Curry for Cleveland. Um, only you know nine combined hits. Of course, only one run. That's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be a home team vic- home team victory. Probably one or two nothing. It's doable. We will see sub one fifty. I am confident. Sub one forty. That seems nuts. No mid inning pitching changes, please. Yes, seriously. Okay, my bad. This is straightforward. Now, there have been some really big, famous star baseball players that are scuffling in a big way. And we have acknowledged them along this along the way this season. You know who we're talking about. Manny Machado, who's starting to find it. You know, going to Mexico City, that certainly helps. Nolan Arenado, it's, it's ugly, right? Are these guys hurt? What's going on? Jose Abreu is another one, right? One that I did not realize as a legitimate superstar player who has been absolutely abysmal is George Springer. George Springer, on opening day, went five for six against the St. Louis Cardinals. He had a five-hit game on opening day. Since then, he has hit, not including today, when I think he had one hit, 175, 236, 263. And here's what is bizarre about George Springer's season. He has actually making more contact than ever before. He has cut down his... His in-zone miss rate, his overall contact rate is up. He's making, he's putting more balls in play. He's not striking out. That is not the problem. And yet, it is just a disaster. I don't know if he is also battling an injury that has totally sapped his power, but he has been in the lineup every day, batting leadoff, and he has been awful. And really what this makes me realize is like, he's been batting leadoff every day, and Bo and Chapman and Vlad have been unreal. Like, 
Think about all the runs they've missed out on by George Springer just being terrible. Like, and I'm 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 stunned by this. I think this is one of the weirder ones. I have to dig into this more. But this is this is shocking. This one really caught me by surprise because I've been so focused on these other guys that keep getting all, all the shit. And Toronto's generally been playing well until this week. It is weird to see him sandwiched between Tony Kemp and David VR on the WRC <laughs> plus leaderboard. Yeah. Just very, very strange. Uh, walk rates down too, so that's that's the thing. He's like putting more balls in play. He's not walking. Super weird. He's been bad. That is bad. All right, Jake, let's get to Ugla. What you got? Gunner Henderson. Mm, good one. Rookie infielder for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I don't have his numbers updated from tonight, but I uh, threw... He homered, right? Uh, he homered, yeah. But I think he also walked, and that is what is notable because before today... For Thursday, Gunnar Henderson had 14 hits and 20 walks. 14 okay. hits and more 20 walks walks. than hits. All right. How notable more is that? walks than hits is rare. It is not overwhelmingly rare. Uh, Joey Gallo, believe it or not, has done this before. I know that is surprising. But what has never been done before is finishing a season with more walks than hits as a rookie. Mm. Okay. So okay. Gunnar Henderson is chasing down this uh, cl- this uh, uh, the claim to be the very first rookie to have more walks than hits during a season. Do I think he'll do it over the full year? No. Do I think he has a chance? Yes, because this dude walks a lot and looks kind of lost at the plate right now. He's been a really weird watch, and because the rest of that lineup's been so good, it hasn't really mattered. Uh, but it's a just a bizarre issue for a rookie to have. I mean, he walked a lot in the minors too, not this much. <laughs> so this is just very strange. The strikeouts are certainly up higher than they have been too. Right. Just a really strange approach for Gunnar Henderson. So Joey Gallo did this in 21 and 22. <laughs> Juan Soto did this last year. It is very difficult to do over like a full season. It's yeah. very hard. Uh, there have been only... Uh, let's say since 1947, there have been only 85 players to do this. One, two, three, four, five, six times it was Barry Bonds. Okay, I was going to say that sounds like something that Barry Bonds would be familiar with, uh, especially the year he had well over 200 walks. That is a good. That is a good ugla. Uh, my ugla is also about a rookie, but quite the opposite of Gunnar Henderson. I want to give us one final Drew Maggi send-off. And here's how I'm going to do it, Jake. When I think Drew Maggi, first of all, Drew Maggi, I don't need to recap the story, but of course, 33-year-old rookie, been in the minors for a million years. Okay, now guess what? He is indeed back in A, going 0-4 last night's game against the Richmond Flying Squirrels, just ripped back into reality for Drew Maggi. Uh, maybe if he's lucky, he can battle his way up to AAA Indianapolis. We'll see what happens there. But the question to me that arose seemed obvious, Jake. Who's the next Drew Maggi? Who's it going to be? Who's our guy? Who is in the minors right now that has been in the minors forever and has not been in the big leagues before? So I have done extensive research here. And I am going to present my findings, although I, I think, think you would like to share. I think you, I know you have, I, listen, you will certainly know some of these names. Some of them you will not. And we're, we're, we're heading towards, there's a couple in specific that I want to highlight, but I'll let you react first before I share my findings. 
So, I mean, the one who I know is Adarlene Rodriguez. Yes. Okay. So why don't you tell us who Adarlene Rodriguez is? Because he is certainly arguably the strongest candidate. Although most importantly, I do not believe he is on a team right now. As it stands, he is not on a roster, which is an important point here. But tell me about Adarlene Rodriguez. Adarlene Rodriguez, Dominican-born first baseman, signed by the Mets, spent a long time in their system. Then he went to Seattle, then Baltimore, then San Diego, then Detroit, then back to San Diego. He was in Japan for a bit, and then he went back to America, and then he went back to Japan. The whole time, he's been outstanding in the Dominican Winter League, and he has never gotten a taste of the bigs. By my count, Jordan, he has played in 1,219 minor league games over 13 seasons without an appearance in the big leagues, which I which, think is more games than Drew Maggi played. More in. than Maggi. Yes, exactly. It's more than Maggi, and that is what makes Adderlene notable because here's what stands out about Adderlene Rodriguez. This dude in 2021 hit 29 home runs in AAA for the Tigers. Okay. Think about that. He he checked every box. Like this is, you know, like a Fran Mill style slugger, right? He's not going to be, it's not, but like this is the kind of guy that normally gets a chance and it just hasn't happened yet. And sometimes they turn into Jesus Aguilar. Exactly, right. And so like, it's it's stunning to me that he did not, he, I mean, he had the chance. He was on the 2019 Tigers. Like he was on the worst team in baseball and crushing a triple A and was not getting called up. Like that is what happened with Adderley. So anyway, he's 31. He has played more games than Drew Maggi. I still think he is the best candidate here. Okay. So you're totally spot on. Do you, can you think of any others? And then I'll start running through some other candidates, including one who I think is weirdly interesting. Go ahead. Um, okay, so let me give you a, a couple other ones. One other one that I think is, is interesting is a guy by the name of Ali Castillo. Have you ever heard the name Ali Castillo? Yeah, with the Mets or the Pirates? Yep, with the Mets. So Ali Castillo is currently playing in Mexico. Ali Castillo, I believe, is 33. He is a an infielder. Um, an infielder, not not a catcher, an, an infielder, but was with the Mets forever. He also has played in more minor league games, 1,287 minor league games, was with the Phillies last year. He is now in Mexico. But again, he's just like classic utility infielder. Never, I mean, <laughs> 26 home runs in over 1,200 minor league games. But again, the kind of guy that just, he's he's someone, you need someone to fill in at, at you know, second base in the ninth inning of a second game of a doubleheader. It's it's Ali Castillo, but he never got his chance. But he is at least still active and he is still playing in Mexico. So he's one that certainly stands out. And honestly, like a Drew Maggi type, right? A Drew Maggi type that certainly stands out. A couple other names, a lot of, lot of first round picks who have played over 800 minor league games who are currently still in the upper minors, guys like Forrest Wall. I know he's not that old, but Forrest Wall. Clint Coulter, if you remember him with the Brewers, he's at 856 games. He's in AAA with the Giants. He's 29. He's never been in the big leagues. Uh, Jacob Gatewood, who's now going by Henry, apparently. He's over 800 games. He's in Mexico right now, uh, along with uh, guys like B.J. Boyd, almost 900 games. He's in Mexico. Nelly Rodriguez with Cleveland, another very similar type to Adeline Rodriguez, who got up in the Cleveland system. He's also in Mexico. But the name that stands out to me, or sorry, two more. One is Matt Lipka. I don't know if you recognize that name. 31 years old, also a high draft pick, 1,137 games. Was in AAA last year, I believe, but he is currently a free agent. His Twitter bio still says ball player, 
which makes me think, all right, he's still, still a ball player, but I don't see him on any roster. So Matt Lipka would be another one. But the name that stands out to me is kind of a shocking one because as far as I can tell, the player who is active in the minor leagues, who has the most games without appearing in the big leagues, is Jamie Westbrook. Do you know who Jamie Westbrook is? Jamie Westbrook is uh, was a high school pick out of Arizona, uh, by Arizona, out of uh, Arizona High School in 2013 by the Diamondbacks. And he is, first and foremost, um, in the Cody Bellinger, Cole Tucker, uh, Scott Kingery click. He is like right, he is part of that crew, okay? All those guys have made it up to the big leagues. But Jamie Westbrook has played 1,015 games. He's still only almost about to turn 28. But what is important about Jamie Westbrook, Jake Mintz? This dude is currently on the Scranton Rail Riders. And when I saw oh. Oswald Peraza limp off after his fault, like faulty stolen base attempt, I was like, this is it. This is Jamie Westbrook's time to shine. Um, again, he's not that old. He's He was a fifth-round pick. He's just been around forever. He's kind of a just really generic infielder. But he's hitting 270 in Scranton. And if I, I honestly can't believe he hasn't already got the call, but that is a guy who, while obviously he has not spent quite as many times, this is his 10th minor league season. And if he gets in the big leagues this year with the Yankees, just know he is technically the next Drew Maggi. That is my ugla for this week. Yikes. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that was, I just want to say, you're a nerd, man. And I love you. Yeah. Appreciate it, dude. Uh, also, Ray Patrick Ditter. Remember him? He's he's still chuck, chucking around with the Padres, as is Michael DeLeon. All right, I'll stop naming names. <laughs> Guys that have, oh, we've seen all way too many minor league games with these people in them. Maybe they will make it someday. Drew Maggi, good luck the rest of the year in Altoona. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Baseball Barbacast. We appreciate, oh, let's look ahead to the weekend quickly. I forgot. I, I felt like that was such a great note to end on. But we should look ahead to the weekend. Let's do it. Three series each. You go first, Jake. Who are the three series you're watching this weekend the closest? Phillies, Red Sox. I will be in Philadelphia tomorrow night, my home away from home. My vacation home is the uh, the Fairwood Suites, the Inmont Motel. No ads, no ads, no ads. Those are all fake hotel <laughs> names. The Triple Tree in Philadelphia where I live. I'll be back down for Phillies, Red Sox tomorrow. A hot Red Sox team tumbles their way into Philadelphia to take on Bryce Harper in his return to Citizens Bank Park. It should be lit at the bank tomorrow night. Dodgers-Padres first matchup of the year. Dodgers are hot. Padres are trying to chase them down. And then I'm really fascinated by Tigers-Cardinals because the Tigers are hot just with the Mets. Cardinals are a disaster. Tigers rolling into St. Louis. Like, they could just bury the Cardinals this weekend. Could be very Cardinals. weird way for them. Cardinals to go. might already be buried, but yes, that is absolutely a great call there. My three are Yanks, Rays, Yankees. I know they love playing in Tropicana Field. That's just their favorite place in the world. So <laughs> looking to see if the Rays can continue their historic start against a team that is against Jamie Westbrook probably at some point this weekend. Um, Orioles, Braves. Uh, listen, nice to see the Orioles get some wins against a team like the Royals. 
But this is where this is the ultimate reality check against the team that is, yes, at worst, the second best team in baseball. Uh, so that will be a nice little challenge for Baltimore. I'm worried that they could give up a billion runs. If they're giving up a billion runs to Kansas City, I don't love their chances against the Braves offense. We will see. And then finally, quite the opposite of Orioles Braves. How about A's Royals, baby? The two worst teams in baseball. One of these teams has to win some ball games, and we will see which one uh, comes out on top. Um, that's uh, that's what I got. I would like to end today's show with an apology and a thank you, Jordan. All right. I have been feeling kind of out of it, everybody, and I feel as if my lack of focus has um, – Hampered the quality of the podcast over the last couple of days. I haven't felt like my best self. I haven't been bringing my number one fastball to the yard. And I just want to let everybody know that in these times of dreariness and cloudy gray that we all feel as human beings, the podcast audience has really given me, I have to say, like a lot of solace. You know, I have over the last couple of years, been very depressed at given points in time. And I know people don't listen to a baseball podcast to hear someone say this, but sorry, your favorite podcasters are sad too sometimes. And that's just the way it goes. And when we get emails and when we get Twitter, you know, messages, that's like, keep up the great work on the pod. Like that really does make us feel good. Um, and is definitely kind of a comfort blanket for me when I get very sad during the day and feel like taking a nap at 11 p.m. because life is dreary. So thank you, everybody, for listening and for following along. It means much, much more than you ever know. Well said. We hope you all enjoy the weekend. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing this episode of Baseball Barbacast. And we'll be back on Monday, as always, with a new episode. And uh, after that, top to the Tigers sweep the Cardinals. We're going to real have a nice conversation, nice, honest dialogue about uh, the Cardinals of St. Louis on Monday. We're not mad. We're just disappointed. Serious XM Podcasts.